0: We started this brand new series last week called Alive, and uh, we talked about Jesus uh, and the... That he could see ahead of him as he died on the cross, and the joy on the faces of his disciples, the joy on your faces when you receive the forgiveness of sins. And so we're continuing this series today, and we're taking a little different turn uh, as we're going to be uh, for the rest of the series. Open up the book of Philippians, and so you can get that read if you want. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, open up to the book of Philippians. But I want to start by 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 giving a few uh, quotes to you from some famous people uh, who gave these quotes and. Some of these quotes you are going to be very familiar with, um, but uh, they all have kind of a common theme on it. And the first quote I want to give to you, it was given by Alfred Law Tennyson, and this is what he said. He says, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all." "'Tis better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all." I think I kind of agree with it. And even though I don't like it, and so, uh, but it's a famous saying, lots of people know. Then there's a, a, a saying that, or a quote that I found from Steve Jobs, who was the founder and entrepreneur behind Apple, and this is what Steve Jobs said. He said, I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again. Less sure about everything, it freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of of my life for those of you who don't know, uh, back I think believe it in the 90s, uh, Apple fired Steve Jobs and then they hired him back again when he came up with some crazy idea called the iPod. and uh, so uh, and then the rest is history and uh, he just became this uh, amazing entrepreneur, this amazing creative mind. but this is what he said the best thing that ever happened to me was the day I got fired from Apple. What most of us would think would be the worst day, For him, it was the best day for him. Let's look at the next quote. This one is from Robert F. Kennedy. He says this, Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. So if you are scared to fail, you will never really achieve because you don't know whether it's going to be a success or failure, but people who are successful, they chase after it anyway. And then, following on from failure this is what thomas edison said he says i have not failed but i've just found 10000 ways that will not work i wish that would work with my wife at times you know if i could just explain that i didn't fail anything wrong it just didn't work this time that's all and then the last quote you can't give a list of quotes without giving a quote from winston churchill the master of quotes and uh, this is what churchill said he said success is not final failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And so if you can't continue, then eventually you're going to fail. But if you have courage to continue and to fight on and to keep going, that is what really counts. Here, all these quotes deal with failure, deal with loss, deal with hardship. And so many people, when they go through loss, when they go through failure, when they go through hardship, what happens is their head goes down and they want to quit and they step back. But perspective is everything. And these people who gave these quotes, they were successful people in their own field, in their own right, and they had a different perspective. Their loss wasn't the end of the world. It was better that they had something and lost it than not have it at all. Their their failure was something that spurred them on to be something greater or to find success in their life. And just the courage to continue. Perspective is everything, wasn't it? Wasn't it John F. Kennedy who said this? The only thing to fear is what? Fear itself. And so often we, we don't want to continue in life or we don't want to carry on and press through and, and, and realize our dreams and our passions and our purposes because we have this thing called fear. Today, we, 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 talk, we, we sang a song about God being a, a, a fearless God. We don't have to fear, for we have a fearless God. Do you know the number two thing that God says in the whole Bible, number one thing, basically, commandment he gives us is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with your strength. The number two thing that God has said throughout history, he says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. And so often we don't want to move forward because we fear. We fear what will happen. We fear the hardships. We fear life not turning out as we had thought it would be. And that is one of the biggest reasons people do not pursue the dreams that they have for this life. The fear of failure or the fear of having to start again. The fear of losing out. The fear of lack stops people being bold in their approach to life. Now, if you ask anyone who is mildly successful, find someone who you think is mildly successful. And this is what they will tell you. They have had their fair share of experiences of failures and disappointments. You can't be anything good in this life or you can't experience the goodness of this life unless you experience failure and disappointment and hardship and even loss. See, I have this I I see this pattern that emerges to people who have this natural or constant joy to their life. And this is the pattern that you see. They've often experienced incredible loss. For people who have joy or, or constant joy or natural joy, they start to understand that life isn't about me being happy because everything is going well in life. They suddenly rise above it and they start to see whether there is loss, whether there's hardship, whether there's failure, whether there's success. It doesn't matter because my joy is above that. There is a way to live this life. There is an approach to viewing this world. There is a rhythm to walk in, in faith that brings incredible joy and immense peace. And I want to tell you what that is this morning. Now, before we turn to Philippians I want us to look at a verse in Galatians. Galatians was written by a man called the Apostle Paul and he wrote to a church in a city called Galatia. and this is what he said in Galatians 20 verse uh, sorry Galatians 2 verse 20. He said this: "My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me." So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is saying there: it is no longer I who live. It's not about my dreams, my aspirations. It's not about the things that I want to do in this life. It is no longer I who live, but now it is Christ who lives in me. It is the work of Jesus transforming me and changing me. It is the grace of God who is sustaining me and holding me. It is the mercy of God who helps me get past my past and start living for the future. Paul is saying it's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now this right here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is no longer I, but Christ Christ. And that is what every believer, every Christian in this world should be, should be striving for. To live a life of Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now last week we, we said that we started this series alive and we talked about the, the scripture in Hebrews 12.2 when it says this. For the joy that Jesus could see coming, he endured the cross. And we talked about the joy in the faces of his disciples when they saw that he had rose from the dead. And Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he could see that joy ahead, the joy of the reunion as he embraced his disciples. We talked about the joy that Jesus can see on your faces when you receive the forgiveness of sins and you are transformed by the grace of God. And we talked about that, that Jesus was willing to give up himself, give up his life so that others could receive joy. And this is the overriding theme of the gospel. Sacrifice, death, and new life. Jesus sacrificed himself. He died, but then he came back to life again. And in the same way as believers of of Jesus Christ, if you want to be a believer of Jesus Christ, there has to be a sacrifice. I have to give up what I want. No longer I, but Christ. There has to be a death. It's no longer now for me, no longer my life, but it's Christ in me. Now new life. I come alive to Jesus Christ. So as a Christian, your number one aim should be Galatians 2.20. No longer I, but Christ. Let Christ live in you. Allow his grace to transform you, to let his love overflow from you, to welcome his peace, which calms you, and to receive his joy, which sustains you. This is the type of life which we can receive through Jesus Christ. And it's the type of life that gives amazing joy and makes us truly feel alive. See, if you don't have Christ, you can be alive to a certain point. But if you want to be alive with the joy of God, then you need Christ within you. So Paul's letter to the Philippians. There's this church in Philippi and Paul wrote a letter to them. This letter to the Philippians is an amazing guidebook. It's an amazing tool that we can look at and we can use an insight into how to receive the joy there is in Jesus Christ. To receive this life, this alive life that Jesus has promised us. It's wonderful insight how to live with vitality and keep the passion for life even if bad things happen, even if life doesn't turn out as we hoped, even if life gets tough. So let's open the book of Philippians, and I'm going to start reading it at Philippians 1, verse 1. And this is what it says. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and the deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. That's just a traditional opening for a letter back in in ancient times, that they would say, this is from me, this is from you, and this is kind of what it's all about. And then Paul says this in verse 3. Every time I think of you, talking to the Philippians, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for you all, for all of you, with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And now I am certain that God, who began the work within you, will continue it until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion, with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. So let me just give you some background here because this gives us some great background into the rest of the book of Philippians. Paul's letter here, he is writing from prison. Paul is actually in prison right at this time when he is writing this letter. He is is in prison in Rome under what they call the palace guard. In Rome, they didn't have an army. Uh, The army was not allowed in Rome. But they had the palace guard, which which basically were the the police force of, uh, of Rome in ancient Rome. And so Paul had been arrested for preaching the good news about Jesus and spreading the God, what they call the gospel or the way of Jesus. And he had been arrested and he hadn't been put in like a dungeon with, with like crazy like chains and things like that. But he had been placed on the house arrest in the palace guard. So he was free to kind of move around the house and he was free to write letters and he could have visitors, but he wasn't a free man. And, and so this is how Paul starts with this letter in these circumstances. Now, Paul has gone through many hardships. He's not free. But there's something about Paul that you see from this letter. He seems happy. He seems happy. Now, I don't know if you've ever been into a federal prison, but you walk through the halls of the federal prison and you start to see some of the inmates. And one word I would not say in that prison would be this. These people are happy. But yet Paul in his imprisonment, he seems to be a little happy. In fact, even though he's not free, he seems to be encouraged and he has hope. Now many people in Paul's position, they would become bitter. They would become bitter with other people. They would become bitter about the government because now they've arrested him. They would become bitter probably to God because they're doing the work of God and now they found themselves in this situation. Many people would become bitter. But there's something about Paul that as you read through this book, you start to see that Paul, in fact, starts to become better instead of bitter. He starts to become more Christ-like even in his suffering, even in his imprisonment. Now, he tells us that the Philippians had been kind to him he calls them partners in the gospel from the moment you heard the gospel to now he says you have been partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ now the word partners here in the in the original Greek it means financial support and so what he is saying he's saying from the moment you heard the gospel you have supported me in the mission that God has for me. Now, see, just give some background. Paul. Paul was a tent maker. That was his job. That was his his uh, his profession. He made tents. And for him to be able to go and do all the things that he had to do, at times he had to leave his job. Which meaning in those days, it's not like, you know, he had a cell phone and he could order the parts from China and, you know, get somewhere in India to put the tents together and then like ship them back to the United States and sell them. If he was gone, he didn't earn money. And so he had to go and he traveled all around Europe and what they called Asia Minor, which is like modern day Turkey and Syria and he start, was starting churches and he was, started proclaiming the gospel and, and giving the gospel and the good news of Jesus, but he had no money. And so what he is telling us, he's saying to the Philippians, you have been partners with me. I've been like a missionary and you've been supporting me with this. Now, Paul understood this. He didn't think of himself as a lonely warrior for Jesus going and doing the work of Jesus. But he looked at the Philippians and he says, you are partners, you are equal partners in the work of Jesus Christ for us. You are playing a part. He says, I may be Jesus' mouthpiece to these people who have never heard Jesus before, but you are equally as involved and as a part of the process because you are stretching out your hand of friendship and you are providing for my needs. This is what I know about life. A lonely mindset will try to destroy your joy. A lonely mindset will try to destroy your joy. And even though Paul was alone, he did not have this lonely mindset because he looked at people and he remembered the good that people had done for him. He remembered them partnering with him. He remembered how they supported him. And let me just tell you here at Generation Church, you are not alone. I know there's times in life when we go through lives when we we feel lonely. There's even times when I feel lonely, but you are not alone. Because you have a family of believers, a family uh, of Christians who want to come alongside you and pray for you and help you and support you and lift you up and encourage you. If you open yourself up to it, you're not alone. See, a lonely mindset will destroy our joy. But when we start opening our eyes to the world around us, we start to see there are people around us who want to help us, who want to encourage us, who want to form relationship and friendship with us. Now, in ancient times, people who were imprisoned would often find that their friends would desert them. There was a stigma with imprisonment, even more than there is today. And what you would find, you would find that uh, that people who had been lifelong friends, if they found out you were in prison, that they, they, they would just turn their backs on you. But not the Philippians. Because Paul talks about how they supported him and partnered with him, even while he was in prison. They didn't turn their backs on him. Furthermore, there was a Jewish tradition that Paul grew up in, that he believed, or the Jews believed, that suffering meant that the end was near. Now, not the bad end, but a good end was near. They meant that the more you suffered, the closer it was to what they called the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord was the day that, that, that God would come and rescue his people and free his people and rule over his people. They were looking for the Messiah, the, the Jews were. But Paul already realized the Messiah had come, Jesus had come, but he still had this mindset that if I suffer, then it's a good thing because the end is near. And when the end is near, that's good. It's almost like, you know, being at school and you're in that final semester and it's just crazy and it's hard and and you're studying and studying and studying and 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 it's just getting worse and the suffering is even worse. But you know that the end is near, so it's good. It's good. That it's coming. And he had this mindset. So with all that background, let's see what Philippians says about living a life that is alive to Christ. Let's see what Philippians said about receiving joy no matter what stage of life you are in. So the first thing that we see here in Philippians is this. Paul says if you want the path to joy, a path to life, if you want to live a life that is fully alive, then this is the first thing that you need to do. You need Christ through you. Christ through you. Let's take a look at what Philippians says. Philippians 1, verse 9. Paul says to them, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Now the theme of the, of, of the gospel is to die to self and let Christ live through us. Remember... Galatians 2.12, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And this is exactly what Paul starts to teach the Philippians. He says this, if you want joy, if you want to discover purpose in life, if you want to know what really matters in life, then you need to step aside and you need to let Christ work through you. Christ work through you. He says this, he says that you need to let the character of Christ come through you. The character of Christ come through you. If we are to show the world this Christ within us, then we are to do it through our words, our actions, our deeds, and even our thoughts. And Paul gives us guidance how to do it. So this is what he says. He says, this is achieved by love that overflows... By gaining knowledge and receiving understanding. Now, the Philippians had shown love to Paul. Paul says, I'm amazed by the love that you've shown me, the support that you've given me. And so Paul starts to understand this. And he starts to understand that they have shown him love. And and the love within them has overflowed towards Paul. Now, Paul is saying, that love that's within you, that has overflowed towards me, now this is what you should do. You should let it overflow even more towards other people. Now, this is easy to do with the people that we love, right? It's easy to do when our kids are being good. Not so easy when our kids are being bad. But it's easy to do when our kids are being good. We love them. We want to pour out love towards them. When everything's great in the marriage, you just get all this lovey-dovey. And like your love just pours out, and you send flowers and chocolates and little sweet text messages, even cards, right? You know. Now that was just the first year of marriage. Is that happening? But you do that, right? And and your love overflows. You know. I mean, even your parents, your love overflows towards them or your friends because they are easy to love most of the time. But what about the people that you don't like? What about the people who are hard to love? Jesus said this, he says, you've heard to love your neighbor, right? Your neighbor were the people, wasn't people living next door to you, people that you had community with. You've heard to say, it is said to love your neighbor, but I tell you, love your enemies also. Love your enemies also. That's tough to do. But this is what Paul is saying. He says, if you want to receive joy, if you want to feel totally alive, then that love within you, because we've all got some love within us, let it overflow, not just to the people we like, but let it overflow to all. Let it expand and let that love grow further and flow further. See, Jesus is showing us a way. Paul is also showing us a way that joy can be found in this life. And the joy is found when you let Christ work through you. So think about yourselves today. How do I show love to others? How do I show love to my spouse? How do I show love to my children? How do I love, show, show love to my friends? Now, take that and put some steroids in it and let it overflow. And let it blow up and let it, let it expand and let it flow, not just to your spouse or to your children or your parents or your friends. Now let it start to overflow to those that you meet each and every day. That is the characteristic of Christ. And that is where love and joy is found. So Paul says this, firstly, Christ in, Christ through you. The second thing that Paul says in Philippians is this, to find joy, is Christ in others. Christ in others. Let's read what Paul says. I love this section of scripture because it just shows the heart of the apostle Paul. He says this, verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. Remember, he's not getting bitter. He's getting better. He's seeing his suffering as a good thing. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. And he says this. It is true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, and they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others who do not have pure motives, as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not not, uh, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. So the Apostle Paul, everywhere the Apostle Paul went, he had one goal. And that was to spread the good news about Jesus so that the gospel of Jesus would be heard wherever he went. That was his number one goal. The problem was there was some rivalry and some jealousy that was creeping in into the church. And there is nothing more joy destroying than jealousy and rivalry. If you suffer with jealousy, it will snatch your joy and take your joy. If you start looking at other people, other Christians, as your rival, it will sap your joy out of you, and you'll wake up pretty miserable most mornings. See, this is what I know. When you care more about what others are doing than what Jesus is doing, you are on course for a joyless season of your life. And that's the problem with a lot of people. They care more about what others are doing than what Jesus is doing. And so they start looking at others and they start comparing themselves with others. It's like the Facebook phenomena, right? We start looking at other people's, we start looking at the best two minutes of people's lives and we compare the rest of our lives with it. Jealousy and rivalry. And it snaps it saps our joy because we're like, why can't I have that? Why can't I have that cute kid who seems to behave himself all the time? Not knowing that that kid never behaves himself. My, my, my wife is a perfect example of this. She will post stuff of my son on Facebook. And I'll be honest, half those pictures are super cute. What those pictures don't tell you is the 30 minutes of screaming and crying and wanting to pull your hair out trying to take that picture. And it's happened many, many times. Rivalry and jealousy. See, Paul wasn't the only preacher in town. So often we think that Paul was the only one spreading the good news. He wasn't. As the church was growing, there was more preachers. There was more, there was more pastors. There were more people to start telling about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul wasn't the most charismatic preacher in town. Paul wasn't the best preacher in town. There was one time a guy fell asleep during his sermon, fell out a window and died. I mean, that isn't entertaining. Right. Now, he prayed for him. The guy came back to life, and then Paul continued preaching. I'm like, what is he thinking? But anyway, but he wasn't the most charismatic. In fact, Paul tells us that there were other ministries, other churches that were more spectacular than his. He didn't have the biggest church in town. He certainly didn't have the most money in town. But this is what we know about Paul. Paul had the right motives because there were other Ministries, there were other preachers, there were other churches that had wrong motives. Their motives were to get people's money. You've all heard of churches like that, right? All I want is your money. There were churches and preachers and people spreading the good news. All they wanted was fame, all they wanted was status, all they wanted was what they could get out of people for themselves. And you read through the history of the Bible and you read through the history of the New Testament and the churches, and you find there were many of these people. But yet, Paul's motives were right. Listen to what he says He says, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. So I rejoice. Paul found joy in people finding Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Paul found joy when people found forgiveness of sins. Paul found joy when people came to the cross of Jesus and realized that they were a sinner in need of a Savior and Jesus was that Savior. Paul found joy in all of that. Now last week, we were getting ready for church, getting ready for Easter. And uh, one of our leaders was telling us about somebody that they have been praying for. And they have been asking to come to Generation Church. Some this person doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I know for many years they have been praying for this person. They've been praying and praying and praying. They've asked lots of prayer for them that they will just find life in Jesus. And they've asked them so many times to come to Generation Church, but they've never come. But then last week they told me, guess who went to church this weekend? And I was like, who? And they told me. And they says. But guess which church they went to? And it wasn't us. It was another church that I know of in town. They'd been asked by somebody else to go to church. Now I know the church that they went to. And the church has got some good things. It's got some bad things. I would call it a part gospel church. Not a full gospel church because they don't talk about the full gospel of Jesus. Just a section of the gospel of Jesus. And this is what we could have done. We could have been like, man, I just, you know, why wouldn't they come to our church? Why wouldn't they come to ours? I've been praying for them and asking. But do you know what the Apostle Paul would have done? He would have done this. Yeah! They went to church! Because he was more interested in the gospel than what he could get out of it. And this is what I know. Real joy is found in pure hearts, and the pure in heart longs to see Jesus in others, even if we don't get to be a part of it. And that's sometimes the hardest thing in the world if we don't get to see what God can do in people. But we still rejoice, Christ in others. And then, very quickly and finally, today. The last part of this first chapter of Philippians, how do we receive joy? And it's Christ in me. Christ in me. This is what Paul says. We haven't got time to really read through it, but this is what Paul says. He says that for me, he says there is a hope. I have this hope, and this hope is this life to come. He says, there is a life to come. It is a life after this life. It's the, 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 the afterlife. It's a hope that I have that's to come. But he says this, but for right now, I live and I live for Christ. Because it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives with me. I live for Christ. And he says, and that's great. But if I die, it's even better. Because I get to go to heaven. And he says this, he says, to live like citizens of heaven. Live like citizens of heaven. He says that there will be people who will come against you in this life, but don't worry about them because you're a citizen of heaven. And and this is what I know about this life. Paul had this hope. It's called the hope of glory. And the hope is this, is that heaven is our home. That this world is not our home. Heaven is our home. That this life is our journey towards our home. Heaven is our home. We are pilgrims going through a foreign land. That's what we are. That's the hope of glory that Paul talked about. That when I die, I get to go home to be with Jesus. But Paul knew when the work was done, he'd get to go home. But while the work is still yet to be completed, Paul had the comfort and the assurance that Christ is with us. He celebrates whether I live or die, because whatever state I am in, Christ is with me. Paul does not know what tomorrow may hold, but he does know that today, tomorrow, and for all eternity, he has Christ with him. And that is reason to celebrate and have joy. See, the person who is full of joy is the person who has Christ with them. This is what I know. Christ is the difference maker. He is the joy provider. And we read a bunch of quotes at the beginning from all these different people. You you, you have Steve Jobs who earned millions and billions of dollars. Creative genius. You have John F. Kennedy who's gone down as one of the, the, the greatest political figures in this world, whether you agree with his politics or not. You have Winston Churchill who's gone down as one of the greatest leaders of all time. You have Thomas Edison, one of the most amazing inventors this world has ever seen. These people tasted success in their life. But this is what I know. You will never truly have joy unless you have Christ. And those men, even though they tasted success, they still never experienced joy unless they had Christ in their life. Paul gives in this last section of Philippians. It's found in Philippians 1, verse 21. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And this is what he says. For me to live, sorry, for sorry, for me, for to me, living means Christ. And dying is even better. For to me, living means means living for Christ and dying is even better. See, the Apostle Paul knew this. It's not what happens in this life, whether things go good or bad, whether I have success or failure, whether I have a lot or a little, whether, 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 whether I get status or not, whether I have fame or not, whether, whether I, 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 I'm seen as a successful person or a failure. That doesn't matter. Paul is saying this, for to me, living means living for Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And if I die, he says, even better, I get to go home. Paul says, for to me, and I can honestly say to you, I've been walking this journey of faith now for 30 plus years. It's going to be 31 years in August that I've been walking this journey of faith. And I can honestly say to you this morning, I can say like Paul, for to me, living means living for Christ. And if I die, that's even better. So I ask you today, can you say that? Can you say for to me? For to me, living means Christ. And dying, I'm not scared of death. For it's even better because I get to go home and be with Jesus forever. See, all the great men and women who have walked this earth knew that success is not found in wealth, it's not found in status, it's not found in an easy life. They all seem to unite and realize that success is found in perspective. It's found in courage. It's found in not giving up. But there is more. If you want to find joy, it means living for Christ, living for Christ. So how can you harvest this joy this week? How can you allow Christ through you this week? How can you let that love that sometimes overflows towards others, how can you let that expand and grow so that everywhere you go, people start seeing the characteristics of Christ in you? How can you allow that this week? How can you celebrate and rejoice as Christ works through others this week? So often, I don't know, in our small groups, one of the things that we do in our small group is do we have prayer requests? But do we have praise reports, we call them? What is God doing? Is there anything to celebrate this week that God is doing? How can we celebrate what God is doing in others? And then final question, how can you increase Christ in you this week? Not just Christ through you, but how can you increase Christ in you this week? See, we can do all the works, we can do all the good things, all the good deeds. We can show a lot of love. But if Christ is not within us, eventually that will run dry. How can I increase Christ in me this week? Let's bow our heads in prayer. So, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. In a moment, we're just going to finish this service, just by taking communion together. But before we do this, this is what I know: if you are a believer of Jesus and you have given your life to Jesus, and He has come and He started to make a home in your life and in your heart, and he is changing you and transforming you and you know your sins are forgiven, then this is what I know today as fact. That because you have Jesus, you have access to all the joy that you could ever need in this life. Now, I know there's a lot of Christians out there, a lot of people who, who, who profess to follow Jesus, but... They're as miserable a sin. Because they haven't accessed the joy there is in Jesus. And I pray that every one of us here this morning, that we will never live this life, going through this life thinking life is miserable. But in fact, we will live this life and we will continue to go stronger and stronger and we will access the joy there is in Jesus Christ as we let Christ work through us, as we celebrate what Christ is doing with others and we let Christ work within us. If you want to access that joy today, then this needs to be your aim in life. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. So, Father God, this morning, I pray that that will be our motto for life. That you will help us realize, God, that joy and peace and even happiness is found in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray today, Lord, that we will be vessels that you will work through, God. That we will be tools that you will use That our lives will show the characteristics of Christ. That we will celebrate when we hear that people have turned from sin unto life. We will celebrate when we hear that people have come to Jesus. And God, that we will continue to let you work and transform us and work in us and change us. For who you want us to be. We ask in your name.